Honest, real, raw, true conversation and prayer with God. down into the water and when you do the old person dies you come up out of the water as a new creation of Jesus Christ Hey, welcome to Church Experience. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us. Now is a great time to grab your weeklies and head to your seats if you haven't already because the service starts in 90 seconds. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free. Oh, yeah. He wants to set you free.
presence. Pursue a relationship with him. Grow in your walk with him. Get closer to him. Spend more time with him because he's better. If you want your life to get better, then get around the one who is better. Get around Jesus. Get around the one who has power to change and transform your life. Get around the one who has the perfect grace for you and the perfect love for you and the perfect joy for your soul. Listen, he is better. Welcome, CE family. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Man, I have been looking forward to the Christmas countdown series, and it's finally here. Christmas is in 21 days. Speaking of counting down, each week we're going to have a great time counting down for Christmas, and today I've got a really fun way that we could count down for Christmas together. Okay, what are we going to do? Well, everyone loves Christmas foods and baking, so how about you guess on the top five cookies made and eaten at Christmas? Okay, I think I've got this. So we're starting from the fifth most eaten cookie and counting down to number one, right? Yep, you got it. Sounds good. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do this. What cookies do you think are eaten most often? Okay, Gabby, I gotta say, my first guess would be the shortbread cookies. That's a really good guess. I do love those, but they didn't make the top five. What? The fifth most eaten cookie is the snickerdoodle. Snickerdoodle? Okay, I do like snickerdoodles more, but shortbread cookies just seem like the classic cookie that's just sold everywhere. All right, well, number four, what's your guess? Okay, so one time I remember hearing about a poll that was taken a while back and they're Hershey Kiss cookies that are sometimes called peanut butter blossoms. Those are delicious. They were number one. That's my guess. I'm pretty certain about this one. Those are so good. But ironically, that cookie didn't make the top five either. What? The fourth most eaten cookies are gingerbread cookies. Oh, okay. That makes sense. There's nothing like a really good <laughs> gingerbread cookie. I love how pretty they are too. They just feel so iconic for Christmas time. Okay, go ahead. Tell me what's number three. All right, Jules, this is a personal favorite of mine, sugar cookies. <gasps> okay, doesn't it feel like Christmas when you're decorating a sugar cookie on a table? Oh, yeah, yes. totally. Okay, you won't guess number two. Okay, what do you got? Peanut butter cookies. What? Okay, well, I can see, you know, that's pretty solid, but I didn't think that was a holiday cookie. Well, all right, what's your guess for the number one cookie made and eaten at Christmas? Okay. I have no idea because you kind of listed all my top guesses. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to tell me on this one. All right, the number one cookie that you'll see at all the Christmas parties are chocolate chip cookies. What? No way! Okay, it's classic and so good, but that's not a Christmas cookie. I mean, either way, they're all really good. Well, I just don't think you can go wrong with those. Forty percent of Americans will eat chocolate chip cookies at Christmas time. All right, Jules, well, that was so fun. I'm already looking forward to next week's countdown. Me too, but before we dive into the rest of our service, I just wanted to welcome any VIPs, first time guests too. We would love to get to know you. Go ahead and pull out your phone and scan the QR code on the screen so we can get connected with you. Or you can fill out the response card on the bottom of your weekly and drop it off in the offering bucket as it passes by. I know some of you are wanting to get connected by going to first class, getting baptized, or maybe join a life group. Well, just scan this code or fill out the response card and we'll get a hold of you too. Okay, 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 Gabby. It's time. Let's start counting down for Christmas with our CE family. 
You have the Lord. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, that nothing compares to your love. That there's nothing in this world that will satisfy our hearts, our dreams, our wants. Nothing compares to your love, Lord. Nothing fills us like you do, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would reach those that are seeking that are seeking the world, that they would find you, that you would fill them, Lord, and they would experience your presence in that way and your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. God, we thank you that nothing compares. We prepare our hearts to hear your word and to listen to the message and the message you have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Christmas is coming. I mean, it's, it's literally coming, and it's coming fast, and I know it's coming fast uh, because the minions are here. Uh, my neighbors have already put up their decorations, and part of their decorations for every Christmas are the minions. Now, I don't know if you have minions or not, but you're probably putting up some other decorations, and for a lot of us, some of the decorations that we have that we pull out at Christmas time uh, are, are, are major scenes, right? We, we the nativity, and we've got Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and we've got the shepherds, and we've got the wise men. And, and I just want to clarify something as we begin today and in this talk, just, just to answer maybe some questions, maybe what we do know and what we don't know about wise men. 
first of all, here's, here's what's interesting. What we don't know about the wise men is we don't know exactly when they came. We don't know how many of them came, and we don't even know exactly who they, who they were, okay? Um, when they came it is not the first Christmas. It was probably the second Christmas, maybe even the third Christmas, sometime before Jesus turned two years of age. And even though they show up in the nativity scene, the Bible says that they, they came to the house. They came to the house. So they, you got ripped off a little bit. The wise men don't belong at the nativity scene because they weren't, they weren't there. They weren't there. Uh, how many of them came? Well, we think automatically because there were three gifts, there were three wise men. Well, what if there were two wise men, and maybe one of the guys was real generous, and he decided to buy the gold and the frankincense? Or maybe there were four guys, and one of them decided to chip in. The two of them decided to chip in and kind of share. The we, we, what's interesting is that there was a time in tradition that there was thought to actually be 12 wise men. So we, we, don't, we don't know how many there, there were. And, and finally, who, who were these guys? Who were they? Uh, some people think they were astrologers. Obviously, they had some kind of understanding intelligence as it related to the stars, and that's what brought them to, to, to find and to seek and to worship Jesus. Uh, some of them have been called kings, even though there's really no evidence of that. There's a song, right? We three kings of Orient. Um, they're also thought to be priests. That We don't know exactly who they are. We don't know really the answer to these questions, but we do know the answer to this question. And in fact, we're 100% sure of this answer. And they came for one specific reason. They came to worship Jesus. And in fact, the Bible says on coming to the house, and there we are again, not to the nativity scene, not, not to the manger, right? Not to the, wherever it might, the stall. That they, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these men came to worship Jesus. In fact, here's what's interesting. This word worship, worship, is, it means bow down. So in other words, Matthew writes, these men came and they bowed down and bowed down. That's how intent they were on worshiping, on worshiping Jesus. Uh, we're going to be talking about worship in this, in this talk today. And it, to be honest, as we head into this Christmas countdown and, and we're already four days in, right? We're already four days in. When we think about worship, I, I have to be honest with you, it's, it's a big word. It's a big idea, and, and we're not going to cover all of it. In fact, we're just going to cover a, a little teeny, tiny piece of it. But hopefully it's going to be something that's going to encourage you, maybe educate you on who we are and what God expects from us during this Christmas season and, truthfully, all year long. So, so many of us have certain ideas when we hear certain words, and maybe for you, when you hear the word worship, you think right away of songs and music. You think right away of the worshiping. You think right away of, 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 of worship music as a genre. Worship music now has become a genre. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you think right away of this, a hymn book. Maybe you grew up in a very traditional church, a very traditional denomination, and you're used to, when you get ready to sing, taking a hymn book and turning to this number or that number and singing. I, I don't know, but I, I guarantee that when you think of the word worship, something comes to mind, and for a lot of us, it's centered around music. The second thing that might be on our minds when we think about this word worship are the sacraments, the sacraments. And sacraments are really an opportunity for us to symbolically celebrate what God has done in our lives. There are certain things that we do to reflect on what He has done, okay? Uh, for instance, 
Baptism and communion are two great examples of, of sacraments. And I just want to clear up something about this. As we, as we give our lives to Christ, these actions take on significant meaning, these sacraments. So let me explain it like this. Baptism, if you're being baptized without believing in Jesus, guess what? It's, it's just a bath. That's all it is. If, if you know Christ and you're being baptized, it's a symbol of what he has already done inside. It's an outward symbol of what he's done inside. What about communion? Same thing. Communion without Christ in your life is nothing more than a snack. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But if you know Jesus, you celebrate the fact that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. So when we think of worship, again, songs, music, sacraments, and even styles. Again, we all grew up possibly in different churches, different denominations, different styles of worship. And maybe as you've come to church experience, the church that you were at was a little more reserved in worship. And now you're at church experience and you see people raising their hands, you see people singing, you see people kind of swaying back and forth. And you're like, I don't know, I didn't come from that background. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, I've got some good news for you. I have an instructional video that I think is really going to help you in understanding a little bit more about about what this is, about styles, and maybe even to kind of instruct you on how you can get a little more demonstrative in your worship. Here it is. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Right here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying, you're like, I can't. I want to, I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you wanna go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you gotta join right in, okay? Start slow. We got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm gonna walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle, get warmed up, get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready, carry the TV. Carry the TV, that's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen, big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you, Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. Well, I, I hope 
that helped you understand a little bit more and give you some insight, maybe some even some instructions in styles of worship, especially as it has to do with raising your hands. So let, let's think of one other thing, that really the focus of what I want us to think about today, and that is when you think of worship, I want you to think of you. I want you to think of you. And, and here's what I mean by that. The Bible gives us some, some names, some identifiers as to who we are. A quick list of them. This isn't all of them, but the quick list, children of God, friends of God, more than conquerors, chosen and dearly loved, citizens of heaven, redeemed saints, and a holy nation. And there's a whole bunch more, a whole bunch more. And I, I'll get to one more here in just a second, but I, I want you to know something. When I was 17 years old, I became a pastor, and I, I became a youth pastor because we were at a church where the youth pastor had resigned and moved on, and we were in kind of this transition where we were hiring another youth pastor, but they hadn't got there yet. And so at that time, there was no one to lead our youth group, and I was volunteered. And I was volunteered to be the youth pastor for a couple of reasons. One, my grandfather was a pastor, my dad was a pastor, and I was willing to do it for free. So <laughs> I, was given, I was given the job. So at 17, I became a youth pastor. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. At 16, I became a priest. At 18, my wife became a priest. At, at, at six years of age, my oldest daughter became a priest. And at five years of age, my youngest daughter became a priest. You may be wondering, what, what, what exactly are, what do you mean by, what do you mean by priest? And, and I would simply just stop for a second and ask you, when did you become a priest? When did you become a priest? In other words, when did you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ where you allowed him to be Lord of your life? Because truthfully, when that happens, you become you become a priest. The Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests in Revelation. So people who know God, love God, follow God, serve God, guess what? You're a priest. So again, when did you become a priest? If you're a believer, you're a priest. Now, here at Church Experience, we use the phrase welcome home a lot because we want people to, to feel at home. We want people to belong. And everyone here is welcome. We want everyone to belong, but ultimately, we want you to move from a belonger to a believer. We want you to not only feel welcome at home here, but we want you to welcome him in and allow him to change your life and, and make you into the person that he truly believed and died for you to be. So every believer is a priest. You are a priest. You are a priest. And if you're a priest, this is interesting as we look at this topic of worship. If you're a priest, you're perfectly positioned to prepare for, to pursue passionately, and perform personal and public worship. So I want to I talk again about this subject, this topic of, of worship, in light of who you are, in, in light of the fact that you are a priest. If you're a believer, you are a priest. So what, what does that mean, and where do we get this idea from? Well, First Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to him, as you move towards Christ, as you move from belonger to believer, and God changes your life, the living stone who was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him. Look, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood, and you're to be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, goes on, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are a priest. I want you to think about that for a second. Of all the things that we look through Scripture and we identify ourselves as, we can't miss this one, especially as we talk about this topic of worship. In fact, it, it began in the beginning. 
Adam and Eve really were the first priests, priestette, whatever you want to call them. They were the first, because look at what they did. They, they weren't just about maintaining a garden, right? But, but managing God's house and meeting with him daily. That sounds like a priest. Even if you don't know anything about the priestly order or the priestly job description, you can, you can pretty much bet on this is, what, this is what a priest is supposed to do. Now, later on, if you go from the beginning to the very end of the Bible, we see this passage, to him who loves us and has freed us. Man, that is powerful stuff. Loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has what? He's made us. He's created us. He moved us from belonger to believer, and he's made us into a priest to be a kingdom and a priest to serve God, to serve God. So just a quick history lesson. I won't take up too much time with this. I would encourage you, this is a great time, again, as we talk about worship, kind of put it on your mind. It probably wouldn't hurt to do a little more research yourself and what the Bible teaches us and tells us. This is just, again, just a teeny look at what worship is. But again, quick overview. Starts with Adam and Eve, ends with Revelation, but somewhere in between there, we need to know what happened too. So Moses, Moses, as he led the people of Israel, had a tent, a tabernacle that was portable. And he led the people, the priests carried the presence of God, the ark of God on their shoulders with these, these poles. And so they were able to kind of have some portability to the presence of God. All right. So that's, a, that's an important piece. The next piece is where Solomon took that idea and instead of having a temporary place, he created a, a permanent place where, where God could be worshipped, a central meeting place where people would come to him and they would worship, they would worship him. Then when Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up to do something very different. So we have order of priests. We have these people that, that are following God, that are trusting God, but are representing us in one sense. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And the Bible says that when he died, when he died, he tore the door. <laughs> he tore the door. There was this big veil that separated not only the people, but, def, but, but the priests as well from the presence of God. And when Jesus died, becoming the final sacrifice for us, the Bible says that from the top to the bottom, that door, that curtain was tore open so that we could have access, not just the priests, but the people that would follow Jesus, who eventually we would be called priests as well. So let's talk about pursuing the priesthood. If we really are priests, and I'm pretty sure I can prove that, have proved that already to you, may seem a little uncomfortable, may seem a little clunky. You might have some ideas in your mind about priests and whether you want to be called one or not. But the truth is, in the purest sense, a believer is a priest, and they have some certain responsibilities. And I want to give you five as we talk today. Five. Pursuing the priesthood. What do priests do? Number one, priests worship first. Priests worship first. Uh, and, and as I talk about this, I want to talk about B.C. and A.C., okay? B.C. was before Christ, mainly with the Old Testament. A.C. is after Christ. I know it's A.D., but let's just stick with A.C., after Christ. Now, we know that that's not just when he showed up. It's when he showed up here. Christ has been around forever, Okay, part of the Trinity. But as it relates to us and understanding this idea of, of priesthood, I want us to compare what the priests of the Old Testament did, who they were, what their lives were about, and look at what Christ has called us to be, not only priests, but what we should do, and see, see how they relate, B.C. and A.C. So, so B.C., Old Testament, the priest 
the priest would prepare themselves first. Leviticus chapter 8 gives us some pretty clear instructions on what was supposed to happen for a priest in the Old Testament. And it involved a couple things. Cleansing and clothing. Okay, Cleansing and clothing that actually prepared them to worship and to lead others. Right? It wasn't just that they were supposed to worship. Their, their, their goal in worshiping God was not only to receive something for themselves, but to be able to pass on something to the people of God. Okay? So there was a process of cleansing and clothing that actually prepared them. Uh, in other words, before they could stand in the gap for others, they had to close the gap for themselves. They had to make sure that before they stood in the gap for you and me, and for the other people that were following them, they had to make sure that they were in good relationship with God. It's a very personal thing for the priest as well. Uh, the psalm says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise is always on my lips. My whole being praises the Lord. In other words, leading others in worship began with a personal worship experience for the priests, and part of it was that, was that preparation. Now, this is me when I was a little kid. I understand about cleansing and clothing, <laughs> cleansing and clothing for church. Uh, bath on Saturday night, and then maybe some of you grew up in this kind of heritage, this kind of tradition. Bath on Saturday night, and then picking out my Sunday clothes. There actually was a term, right, where we had a certain, a certain set of clothes that was our Sunday best. So I grew up in a home that kind of carried on this tradition from the Old Testament. I'm not that old, but it carried on this tradition in my home. A cleansing and clothing. This is one of those pictures. and I must have really been in the bow ties um, because, again, here I am dressed again to, to go to church in my Sunday, in the Sunday clothes. So before Christ, clothing and cleansing. After Christ, after Christ, there were a group of guys called the 12 disciples. And, and if we could change their name a little bit without, without messing things up in the Bible, we would call them 12 priests. And we would, we would understand that the whole purpose of them living with Jesus and learning from Jesus was that their lives would be changed in order so that they could go out and, and lead others. In fact, the last thing that Jesus said is, I want you to go. I want you to teach them to do what I've taught you to do. That's what a priest does. That's what a priest does. So it, it begins with a priest because, think about this, we can't lead others where we haven't lived. We, we can't take people where we haven't gone. And so the process of becoming a priest is, is getting it right with yourself personally first so that you can share it with others later. I think this is true for all of us. Why would we want a, someone to lead us who couldn't even lead themselves? Why would we want that? And, and we wouldn't. So it's important to understand this, this first idea that priests worship first. Priests worship first. Second thing, priests worship together. They worship together. Now, again, uh, before Christ, Old Testament version, if you will, and to compare again what happened and what is happening, all right? Uh, the priests worship for us. Their job was to kind of do the worshiping for us. And, and here's what I would say. Uh, I, I want you to have an understanding between priests and prophets. So uh, think about this. So a prophet, a prophet would go to God and say, God, what do you want me to, what do you want me to, what do you want me to tell the people? What, what do you have to say to them? He would listen, take that information, and then he would come back out. And as a prophet, he would say, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God told me to tell you. And sometimes the people liked it. <laughs> sometimes they didn't, they didn't like it. Now, a priest, a priest started from a different direction. A priest came to the people and said, hey, what's, 
What's going on? What, what do you want me to tell God? And the people would say, well, I want you to tell him that we love him. I want you to tell him that he's awesome. I want you to tell him that we're so grateful for him. I want you to tell him that I've sinned and I've messed up. And so then the priest would take that and go back to God and say, God, this person, that person, this situation, that situation, this is for you. So the priest, think of it, think of it this way. Back in before Christ, Old Testament times, at best, we had secondhand worship. Secondhand worship. Somebody else was really doing the worshiping for us. But that was, that was before Christ. After Christ, after Christ, we become the body of believers. Are we, are we priests? Yes, we are. But the Bible is also very clear about the fact that we are a body of believers. And with a body of believers, that, that involves unity and uniqueness. That's what a body is, right? That we are all priests, if you're a believer, all priests, we're all different, and we're all together. There's no age requirement. There's no race requirement. There's no hair requirement. It, it, there's, there's no requirements other than knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what makes you a priest. That's what makes you part of the body of believers. In Romans, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, after Christ, right? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All the others. Priests worship together. And I would just say, this is part of our experience here at Church Experience. An opportunity for us as priests to come in prepared, <laughs> ready, cleansed and clothed to honor the Lord together. And when that happens, when that happens, God is glorified and God is honored. Priests worship together. The third thing I'd say is priests confess sin. Priests confess sin. It, before Christ... Before Christ, as I said earlier, a priest's responsibility is to hear from the people. I've done this wrong. I've done that wrong. I want to worship God. I want to praise God. I'm so grateful for this. And then he would go and he would present that to the Lord. And he would say, this person is sorry for this. Forgive them. Okay? They would confess those sins. That's before Christ. After Christ, after Christ, it's very, very interesting what takes place. Because James, remember James is the, the youngest brother of, of, of Jesus. Therefore, confess your sins. There it is. Confess your sins. So again, James is talking to us as what? Children of God? Yes. But also a, a kingdom of priests. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Priests confess their sins. Not only to God, but to each other for a specific purpose. The purpose of confession is, is correction. It's having somebody who, who will pray for you. It's acknowledging the fact that you're broken and you've sinned and engaging the prayer of other people to help you to not just be forgiven, but to help you move on, to help you be changed, to help hold you even accountable purpose of confession is correction. Here's, here's what's interesting. This may be true just for me, but a lot of times I spend more time talking about other people's sins than confessing my own. When I sit down with a couple and we begin to talk about the things that are going on in their relationship, in their marriage, the struggles that they're going through, they're always pointing fingers at each other. Well, if she would just do this, if she would just do that, would well, you know what she did? Do you know what 
or if he would just do this, or he would just do that, or do you know what he did? And, and I tell him, look, when, when are we going to stop? When are we going to stop talking about each other and confess what, what you have done as an individual? Priests confess their sins. It, I heard this the other day. I thought it was interesting. If you tell more than three people your problems, you're not looking for help. You're looking for attention. I love what Brandon has said many times before. He said, you don't have to tell everyone, but you need to tell, you need to tell someone. Now, the, the far extreme, right, the, the, the far extreme of, of telling <laughs> multiple people about your problem is, is really telling no one. I, I don't know, if you grew up in church like I did, or at least a church that I grew up in, we would, we would from time to time be in a circle, we'd be having Bible study, and at some point in that Bible study, somebody would say, well, let's, let's go around the room and let's pray for some of the things. And I thought, man, this is great. This is, a, this is a fulfillment of what James told us to do, to confess our sins to each other so that we can pray for each other so that we will be what? So that we'll be healed. That's awesome. And we'd start around a room and somebody would say, I want to pray for this, I want to pray for that. And then we would inevitably get to one person who would say, I have an unspoken. <laughs> and, and, and then you were, at least I was, maybe with my ADD, ADHD, whatever else I had going on in my mind, then I would be completely consumed with, I wonder what their problem is. <laughs> I don't see anywhere in Scripture about an unspoken prayer. I get it. I get it. I think there are some personal things. And again, again, back to what Brandon said, you, you don't have to tell everyone, but you got to tell somebody you got to tell them exactly what's going on so that they can pray for you to be healed. Priests confess sins. Priests also sacrifice self. They sacrifice self. Before Christ, okay, before Christ, lambs and bulls and birds, okay, that's what would be sacrificed. The priests were responsible to find these perfect lambs, these perfect bulls, these perfect birds. And as part of the confession, right, as part of the confession where people would say, hey, I've done this wrong, I should, I, I, I want to thank the Lord, whatever it might be, they'd say, and I bring this sacrifice, and the priest would take it, and he would sacrifice it to the Lord. And it was meant to be on their behalf. Again, a, a form of kind of secondhand worship. That was, that was before Christ. Now, after Christ, we are the sacrifice. We're the sacrifice. And it's, it's pretty clear Romans says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, we could easily take that out, I urge you, priests, I urge you, priests, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Remember, after Christ, in view of God's mercy, what does that mean? In, in, in view of the cross, in view of what Jesus has done, in view of the awesome sacrifice that he has made for us, we are to respond with sacrifice to him. Romans 12.1. John 3.30 tells us about one of, the, one of the greatest priests, John the Baptist, the one who had the opportunity as a priest to actually baptize Jesus himself. John says, I, I get this. Priests sacrifice themselves. They sacrifice themselves. Because he even said, he must become greater. Jesus has got to become greater. And I must become less. That's what sacrificing self is. It's not sacrificing your identity. It's sacrificing your sin, your brokenness, giving it to God and allowing Him to work in your life. So I have a question for you. As you stand in kind of the spiritual mirror of your life, looking into the mirror, I, I love statistics, I love percentages, all that kind of stuff, love scales. On a scale of 1 to 10, when you look in the spiritual mirror of your life, okay, as John has taught us as a priest, 
that we become less and Jesus becomes more. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much Jesus do you see in the mirror? How much Jesus do you see when you interact with your family, when you talk with your friends, when you're at work, when you're on your phone, when you're online? In the mirror, how much Jesus do you see on a scale of 1 to 10? Priests sacrifice self. And then, and then finally, priests carry God. Priests carry God. Before Christ in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant represented God, and wherever it was, that's where God was. And so the priests were given some pretty clear instructions that they were to carry the ark with them. And there was a portability to that so that wherever, wherever God was, or wherever the ark was, God was. And, and he could be close to his people. That was before Christ. Now, after Christ, the Bible says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this passage of Scripture has been used, I would say, maybe even overused, especially around January, <laughs> when we begin to look at diets and taking a little bit better care of ourselves. We've come through the holidays, and it's been bad, right? We've eaten everything and anything that, 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 that was on the table. And now we're saying, hey, our bodies are kind of out of shape. Hey, let's remember that our bodies are a temp. There, there is a place for that conversation, and that is a piece of this Scripture. But I want to back up just a second. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Get this. Who is in you? Okay, the priests of old carried God in the ark. The priests of today, after Christ, you and I, we still carry God, but God is in our heart. He is in our heart. So in other words, wherever I am, there he is. So you don't have to wear a collar, you don't have to live in a convent, you have to listen to confessions, but you do have to remember that you are carrying God in you. Again, not just so that you can enjoy his presence, but others can be exposed to his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. Priests carry, carry God. As we, as we move through this series, this Christmas countdown, as we celebrate what God has done, as we worship, as we look at the manger scene with these magi, let's remember what they showed us, that worship is really the focus part. And remember who we are. We are, we are priests. One, one final question. As a priest, I want you to think about this, reflect on this, take some notes. What can I do in the next 21 days? We're in day four towards the Christmas countdown. The next 21 days as Christmas counts down to lift Jesus up. That's my question for you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be the priests. Help us to live for you and to love you and at the same time to carry your goodness and your mercy and your grace to a dark world and bring them light in Jesus' name. Amen. Before our usher team comes forward to receive our tithes and offerings and response cards, here's a few important things happening with our CE family. Middle school and high school students are in such a transitional season in life and having a godly, caring, and positive adult role model makes a massive impact. If you want to have a great time making a lasting difference in the next generation, Student Experience is a great place to serve. To let us know you're interested in learning more, write students on your response card. If you miss getting all your Christmas gifts on Black Friday, we got you. You can now purchase high-quality CE swag for yourself or someone that you love just in time for Christmas. Check it out at www.churchexperience.tv merch.
As our usher team comes forward to collect our response cards and receive our tithes and offerings. Through your generous giving to Next this year, we get the opportunity to invest in even more students at our Central and Dunedin campuses and are in the process of launching student experience at our Butler campus. If you are not currently giving to Next, please prayerfully consider joining us. When you give above and beyond your regular tithing to the Next Fund, you're fueling the vision of our church family forward. You can give online by selecting the Next Fund at churchexperience.tv slash give or write next in the memo line of your check. To each person who has given above and beyond to the next fund, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being on mission with us to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ.
had the best time today worshiping and learning with you. You may have made a commitment during the service, and we would love to have you reach out to us. If you have any questions, comments, prayer requests, go to churchexperience.tv slash connect or scan the QR code on the screen. Want to get even more connected? Check out our CE social media, Instagram, Facebook, website, or app, or you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button right here. What a great day it's been. I can't wait to see you next week.